Welcome back to Blue Jacket Podcast. This is episode four, if anyone's keeping track. We're back again in our cozy, cozy little classroom. Today is October 20th, 2023, and the time is 1.22. We have a nice little episode for you today, as we will be exploring current ag news, and we have two special guest stars, Mitch and Brigham Corwine. And then we're going to dive into our host and what their experience is with agriculture. But first, let's cue the intro. I wanted to be a farmer. I wanted to get away from the rat race of the city. We represent the best in America. Our farmers and ranchers have always honored and lived by the values and traditions that make America great. Faith, family, neighbors helping neighbors, hard work, free enterprise, and independence. We can touch the spirit of America in our farm communities. And much, again, much is owed to the future farmers of America. God said I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. FFA is giving more than a fine start to young people like yourselves by cultivating and Traditional values, leadership skills, and patriotism, the future farmers of America ensure the strength and vitality of our country. All right, guys, that's pretty nice, huh? Well, we got some nice uh, ag news for you guys today, and I think Hayden's got something first. Um, our horse judging team just went and competed, and they got first place out of a lot of teams. Um, Katie Cameron placed third individually out of 90. Maddie Scott placed fifth. Hope placed eighth, and Bryce placed 17th. Our B team placed fifth. Colin Eflin was 14th out of 70. Landon Oldie was 17th out of 70. Trent Rubick was 18th out of 70, and Cohen was 47th. And we're officially 12 days until... The first session kickoff of the 96th National FFA Convention in Indianapolis. All right, so that's the news going around here for local agriculture. We've got a, a nice little question for you viewers or for you listeners out there. Do you guys think the war in Israel will affect global agricultural economics and the ag prices in America and in the global regions because of the possible possibility of an oil and wheat embargo from the Middle East? According to Martinson Ag Risk Management President Randy Martinson, he said that the biggest one will be crude oil, but the other one will be wheat. This region that's being impacted by the war, which is the Middle East, is a huge consumer of wheat, and they have an impact on a lot of wheat in this region. If this keeps escalating, it's going to be trouble to get product into the region. So please respond in the comments with your thoughts on this matter. Thank you. All right, I got some agriculture issues. So first off, there is the global pop population is growing, so the demand for food and other agricultural products are increasing, which puts a strain on the resources available to them, which is not good. Um, in many regions, water is, like, running out. Um, people aren't managing their water resources efficiently. They're having to adopt new ways to get water. Um... Farmers are facing challenges with all of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Pretty scary stuff there. All right, guys. I think it's time that we dive straight into it. 
Mitch Brigham, how's it going today? Good. Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Thank you guys for being on here. So we want to start with uh, Mitch. Like, where did you grow up or how did you get into ag? Um, I grew up in the Michigan Valley area, um, which would be over on the western side of the West Franklin District. So I've been a lifelong uh, resident of this area. And I guess agriculture, I was just kind of born into it. I mean, my grandpa had cattle and farmed, so same with my dad. So it just kind of was only natural for me just to progress right into it. So did you take over their farm, or did you sort of start a new one? Well, yeah, kind of uh, just a continuous transition. Um, I still currently uh, farm with my dad and my brother. So, I mean, my dad's kind of retired, but he still helps us in the operation. He's kind of our, maybe you might say our main hired man. Is that, so did you play sports in high school or were you just solely involved with the farm? No, I, uh, I was active in sports. So how'd you juggle that? Like having to go home and do what you need to do late at night? Um, I don't know. There's still more, probably most emphasis on school and sports activities when I was in school. I mean, there wasn't a lot of pressure on me from my grandpa or my dad to, you know, like I had to get home right after school to uh, help on the farm or anything like that. Um, there was enough to go around and uh, I was able to participate in sports and that was kind of priority for me when I was in high school. So what were your like primary, primarily ro roles on the farm? Um, well, when I was in high school, I had my own uh, my own small herd of uh, sows. Um, we started raising uh, show pigs when I was in high school. So, of course, every morning I had to, where we lived, we lived right in Michigan Valley, and so the, the sow herd and everything was up at my grandpa's place. So every morning before school or whatever, I had to get up and uh, drive a mile up to my grandpa's place and feed all the hogs and tend to everything that's involved in a hog operation. And then a lot of times after school, like my parents would do the chores for me while I was at practice and stuff like that. And then of course weekends were always probably filled, you know, taking care of hogs. And and then of course the row crop side of it, um, anytime that, you know, planting season, you know, I'd have to uh, help out getting the crops in the ground, uh, fall harvest, same deal, you know, help dad and grandpa with those activities. So were you involved in 4-H? Yes, I was. And how'd that go? Uh, very good. Um, Were you successful? Or? Well, I mean, defined successful. I, I think I had some success while I was in 4-H. Um, I was in 4-H as, what, as many years as you could, which is that, is that 12, I think 12 years. Um, started out showing cattle when I was young, um, but I was kind of a, a littler guy and got tired of the big steers shoving me around and everything. So I went to my mom and dad one day and said I wanted to show pigs. So... Uh, they were all for it. So my brother, he was the one that always kept showing the cattle and always showed cattle the whole time. But I, uh, I think like four or five years into 4-H, I transitioned to the hogs. And uh, that's kind of was my th main thing while I was in 4-H. Greg, are you in 4-H? Uh, yes, I am. And what do you show? Uh, I show steers and goats, but I'm starting to transition out of steers and into goats. Mainly. Oh. So how, how have you done with that this year? Um, I've done pretty good with my goat. Went to the state fair, got fourth overall, uh, then went to the Kansas Junior Livestock Show, got grand overall, and then went to the American Royal and stood fourth in class. So who helps you with that? Uh, Trent and Emma Kempker in Pomona, Kansas. They raise show goats, and uh, they help us out a lot. We buy our goats from them, and uh, they help me with everything. 
why are you transitioning from steers to goats? Um, the goat deal is just a little bit easier for someone to do on themselves, by themselves. The steers take a little bit more time because they're bigger. The goats, just to me, I feel is a little bit easier to work with, and I find it really interesting what I do with the goats. So it's kind of like your dad wanting to get just kind of change to yeah. what you like more. Yeah. So did you go to college after high school? Yes, I did. I went to, uh, well, I graduated from Pomona in 1992, and then that following fall I went to Butler County uh, Community College down in El Dorado. I was on the livestock judging team down there. And then when I uh, finished my time at Butler, um, I uh, transferred to Kansas State University. And were, were you involved in ag there as well? Uh, yeah, my uh, major while I was at K-State was uh, ag business. And while I was up there, I uh, worked on a hog farm, lived and worked on a hog farm, Pearland Genetics. Uh, Dr. Bob Hines was the one that owned that. So um, whenever I went to K-State, I, uh, I chose not to be on the judging team up there. Um, I was just uh, at the judging team down at Butler County. It wasn't my passion, I guess you might say. So when I went to K-State, I just worked on the hog farm and went to school. Were you good, though, on your team in Butler? Um, I, was a, I was on the team, I would say. <laughs> um, I was kind of one of those unusual kids, I guess you might say, in the livestock judging, because when I went to school here at Pomona, we didn't have FFA uh, really? here, here at Pomona. Um, um. Yeah, when I was in high school, there were still the two high schools. Um, there was Wimsburg High School and then Pomona High School. The FFA was down at Wimsburg, actually, and we never did have an FFA chapter up here at Pomona. So were you not involved in FFA then when you um, were in high school? Barely. When I was in here, they kind of worked out a deal where you could kind of be a satellite student with, uh, with the Wimsburg chapter down there. And I probably didn't take a full advantage of that as much yeah. as I could. Basically, what it boiled down to me is me being a, a satellite student of mm -hmm. the Williamsburg FFA. Basically, I went to like two judging contests a year. And so that was valuable experience, obviously, because yeah. then I got a little bit of experience livestock judging. But anyway, I ended up going down to Butler on a livestock judging, on a livestock judging scholarship down there. And I was one of the kids that went in there was just green as the grass. I didn't have mm -hmm. hardly any experience or whatever. And so my coach down there was Blake Flanders at the time, and I always consider him probably the greatest coach of all time because he took a kid like me that, uh, you know, come in out of high school just green as grass, didn't know anything. I mean, I could, I could stack livestock. I, yeah. I was a good livestock kid, I knew, but obviously I couldn't talk them. I say, so you didn't know really how to do it. Right, exactly. So I went in there green as grass, and by the time I was done my sophomore year, well, I was getting my name called at a few contests. Like uh, my very last contest was Denver. You know, I placed sixth in hogs uh, at Denver. The uh, contest before that, I won hogs at Phoenix and was 10th overall. So I, I think I learned a lot. Blake was a really good coach, and I always say that he, you know, he just took a dumb farm kid and got him – you know, to where his name was being called a contest by the time I was done. So, so if, if you didn't do livestock judging at K-State, would you say that that still helped you, though, like in your future? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you, it's it's all about people that you meet and, and stuff like that. I mean, the people I met along the way and the experiences. I mean, my, I, I know I say that livestock judging wasn't really my passion, mm -hmm. but at the same time, my time at Butler County livestock judging, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Because the places I got to go, the pla the people that I got to meet, I mean, it's just, you just can't, uh, 
I don't know, you just can't replace them. Can't put a value on that. Right, you can't put yeah. a value on those experiences gained. So how is ag currently involved in your life? Every day. <laughs> so what all do you do? Do you own animals still, or do you just crop farm? Yeah, um, mainly I crop farm uh, with my uh, dad and brother. Uh, between all three of us, we still farm. Oh, we have about 2,200 acres of row crop. And then uh, we also run a few cows. Um, that's kind of more of my dad and brother's uh, deal. Um, Matt's cow herd is is kind of, its main focus is to produce show steers, and that's kind of what dad's doing too. So I do have a handful of cows. I always figure if I'm going to show up every morning and help with chores, I just own a few cows too, I guess. So <laughs> anyway, between all three of us, we probably have oh, fi- about 50 about 50 mama cows, like I say, that the main the main focus there is try to raise show steers. Are you guys successful with that? Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we've really just kind of focused and, and got with it here the last three or four years. So uh, just here a couple weeks ago, um, we had our third online sale, and uh, we sold 17 head uh, of steers and heifers, and uh, we think it went pretty well. Um, we sold a steer this year for more than we ever have before. Um, we got steers located in other states. Um, so that's the first time we've sold anything out of state. So um, it's, it's just a hard market. Um, yeah. You got to just probably be in it a long time. Um, there's a lot of sales out there. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people out there trying to do the same thing. So um, it's difficult, but uh, we're trying and we have a lot of fun with it. So you said that you guys have like you guys farm about twenty two hundred acres now. Yeah. What did you guys start out with when you were when you were young, like when you were a kid? Oh, I can't really remember what Grandpa used to farm, but I know like right when right when I got out of college, I was uh, I was still working a job, and at that time we only had like three hundred fifty acres of row crop, and so since I've been out of school and uh, started my own thing, why we've we've steadily increased the acres. So we've, you, been, we've been around that 2,000, 2,200 mark probably the last 10 years. And are you guys still increasing? We would like to, yeah. Like I mean, every, it's just like every farmer around yep. here. I mean, we always want more ground, but it's it's competitive. Yeah. What's the dream? Like, what's what would be the dream farm to have? One that's paid for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's everyone's dream, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, you... I mean, you, you kind of work at it, and you hopefully you kind of build equity and have something, and you know, and, and it's kind of always the the deal that you want your son, Brig, to be able to come into the operation one of these days. I mean, that's that's a goal of mine, and I I think that's kind of a goal of his or whatever. But it'd be nice to be financially comfortable enough to bring somebody else in the operation and uh, be able for him to to take it and run with it. So Brig, is that your is that your dream too to take over the farm? Yeah, that's what I'm focused on focusing on right now. So what are you gonna do to get to get ready for that? Um, just take in as much information as I can, learn as much as I can from my dad and my grandpa, and take advice and compile it and see what I can do on my own. Are you planning on going to college to I'll probably go to a trade school. I won't go to a four year though. That's not something that I would think I want to pursue school doesn't interest me that much yeah so what trade school then um probably go somewhere for ag mechanics diesel mechanics school just uh, depends on if i want to get out of state or not stay yeah. around here stay local so 
Would you continue to work then on the farm if you stayed in-state? Yes, I would drive back whenever they needed me mm-hmm. during the busy seasons and help. How are you involved with the farm right now? Um, I help with the odds and ends during harvest. I will. I can haul grain, combine, run grain cart uh, during planting season. I don't really call that odds and ends. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'll plant with Dad, and we run two planters and beans. And uh, during seed season, I will deliver for Matt, his brother, and, uh, yeah. So I heard when you were little you had a YouTube channel. How'd that go? <laughs> so um, I stopped uploading, and a lot of people wish I still uploaded. <laughs> I say a lot, like 12 at most. But <laughs> the reason why I stopped doing it was because YouTube started to flag my videos and take them down for child endangerment because I was... 12 at the time of uploading these and I looked like I was about 10. <laughs> so that so wait, they were really penalizing you just because you were working? Yes. So how'd that all start? Like what how'd you come up with that idea? Um well, in the mornings I would sit on the couch and watch <laughs> YouTube on the TV of people like Millennial Farmer and Larson Farms. Uh and it kind of inspired me because if they're doing it, they started from nothing. I started from nothing and they built their way up to a lot of subscribers and uh, sponsorship deals, and I figured it was something I might as well par- try to pursue. So are you going to try to get back into that, or what? I might. I'll, uh, we'll see. Uh, if I can convince YouTube that I'm not a child. <laughs> All right. I, I mean, I, I really wished he would. Um, I didn't really think much of it at the time that he was doing it. I thought he was just, you know, being goofy and, and putting videos out there, but as you kind of get out and start talking to more people and just, you know, random people you'd start talking to, it's like, hey, you know, I'd, I'd see Briggs videos on YouTube or whatever. We really enjoyed them, you know. It, it, so I really wish he'd kind of get back to doing it or whatever because it's it's just kind of another another form of education out there. Yeah. I mean, for any, any non-farm people or whatever sitting around getting on YouTube, clicking on videos, I mean, some of the stuff that he was putting on there is really kind of, educational i guess you might say and and it was kind of a real real picture of what's going on out here in the everyday farm life for us so i'd like for him to get back at it i thought it was pretty cool yeah all right well listeners if you guys hear that uh make sure when he does make a video you guys better better watch it and then tell youtube <laughs> not to take it down Four wine farms on youtube if you're wondering Four wine farms <laughs> uh any any other service like TikTok or the Googlers um, or something? Yeah, I am on TikTok. I upload pretty frequently. Um, I'm growing to over two thousand uh, followers. Um, your next janitor on TikTok, no caps, no space. I uh, upload videos of kind <laughs> of what we're doing. Yeah, your next janitor. Okay, he's got high hopes. That will be <laughs> <laughs> that will be noted. So you said that you were doing that when you were twelve, right? You were making these videos. So when did you really start? like getting a, a really important role in the farm then if you were doing that when you were 12 um i'd say when i really started to do stuff is when i was 13 14 and above but really i started as soon as i could reach the pedals on the skid steer when did you start showing when's the first year you can show in 4h7 okay you started, started showing out, pigs yeah started started out showing pigs Went to cattle, now I'm on goats. So you were pretty big into 4-H. Are you involved in the FFA? Um, yes, I am involved in the FFA here at uh, West Franklin High School. Okay. 
What do you uh, What do you do? Any? Um, I'm going to the agronomy contest with a few of my teammates. And when is that? That is in February. Oh, okay. So what what is agronomy for those not knowing what it is? Um, like so myself. at an agronomy uh, contest, it'll be crop judging. You'll look at uh, look at different crops and uh, evaluate them. Like yeah, grain grading, and then uh, you'll do plant identification such as weeds and uh, other certain crops. So you should be pretty good at that then, since you've been kind of doing that your entire life, right? Well, you'd like to say. You'd like to say. No, it's just uh, something that we need to study and um, go over and look at some more. But I've actually got a story about how I think he got started on the farm and doing and doing everything. So we've got uh, me and my dad would always be the planter guys. We'd, we would run two planters and beans and uh, got auto steer on both of the tractors, right? Well, my dad who was, you know, 70, 71 at the time or whatever. Um, he doesn't grasp on to technology quite as well as you yeah. would think. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as well, younger yeah. people do. So I uh, have this auto steer system in there, and, of course, I can't babysit him because I need to be running the other planner. So I told Brig one day, I said, hey, get on YouTube or whatever and try to search up Ag Leader videos. That's the brand of auto steer that we have in Tractor. I said, you know, search up Ag Leader videos and, and, and try to learn how to operate the monitor. So you can ride with your grandpa and show him what buttons to push and everything like that to get the auto steer yeah. system going. So he did, got on there, found, and he learned the, the Ag Leader monitor just as well as I, I do probably or whatever. So threw him in the cab with his grandpa and they started planting and they went about a round and grandpa stopped the tractor, got out, and just told him, you got it. Go after it. He, he, he says, there ain't no need of you sitting in there just telling me what to do. You just will be doing it. So that's how he's been running the tractor and planter ever since. So that's that's kind of how I think he kind of got started in the daily activities of planting and harvesting around our farm anyway. And about how old was he then? I don't know. Was you 12? Yeah, probably. Wow. Okay, so you guys were talking You talking about, uh, like, uh, planting and everything. Uh, right now it's harvest season, is that correct? Correct. So what are you guys harvesting right now? We're cutting soybeans right cutting now. Cutting soybeans? How's that going? Um, well, it's going. I mean, the beans aren't very good. Ooh, why not? Well, we were too dry this year, too hot, too dry. I was going to say, because I know right now we're in a, in a bit of a drought. Yeah. Uh, we've been in one for quite a, quite a few years now. Yeah. How's that affected you guys? Um, it's a good thing we have crop insurance. Yeah. So that's basically what all the beans are going to be this year. We're going to have a crop insurance claim on probably on all of them. How many acres of soybeans do you guys do? Um, we have just over a thousand this year. So, in a good year, how many bushels would that make? Oh, a good year was forty to fifty bushels of the acre. And this year, what do you think? This year, so far, what we've, we've cut? Uh, oh, we've cut just under four hundred acres, and we've been twenty to twenty-eight. So that's pretty. That's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean. It's kind of one of those deals once you get into them. I mean, I was expecting a bunch of 15 to 20 bushel beans, so I guess if you could say they're even a little better than I thought they were going to be, but still not good. So if it's been hurting for a couple of years now, are you guys going to continue with soybeans? or Sure. Why? Yeah, we do. Well, it's just part of our crop rotation. We grow corn and soybeans around here, and it's just what we do. And corn, how's, 
How is that doing? Corn wasn't. I mean, we we're done with corn harvest. We got done a couple of weeks ago with it. Um, corn wasn't wasn't too awful bad. Um, it just kind of depended on where you're at with the corn. You get south of Pomona, the yields weren't as good. Up around Michigan Valley, we got in got into some decent corn for the year. I would say it just kind of all depends on how how deep the soil was and how well it held on the moisture. You know, you got on some thinner thinner upland on side hills and stuff like that. The corn pretty well burn up pretty bad, but all in all, it wasn't too bad. And how many acres of corn did you guys have? We have about eight, 850. 850? Yeah. Will you guys make a profit on that then this year? Or is that more break even. insurance? Break even. Man. So are you guys gonna not are you guys gonna make a profit on anything this year? Any crops or No, I wouldn't say we'd made a profit this year. What about last year? Maybe slightly. So why why do you do it then? I mean, if you're not making a profit on it. Well, eventually we will. When? Hopefully next year. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, what farmer, that's what farmers always say, right? Yeah. There's always next year. All right, so if you guys aren't really making that much of a profit on that, how are you guys keeping the farm going? Like, what else do you guys do? Well, we pay bills, I mean, so you keep going. Yeah. No, I mean, what other what other than corn and soybeans, what else do you guys do? Oh, well, I guess that, yeah, get into that side of yeah. the things. And, yeah, I do I do have my own business. What's it um, called? Core Wine Seeds and Service. So I sell seed and ag chemical, and we do some custom application. So I've been doing that on my own since uh, 2001. So what I've been doing that, like 22 years. So how'd that start? Um, well, like I said earlier, whenever I graduated uh, Kansas State University, I got a job with uh, Farmland Industries as a crop management specialist. And so that's basically kind of like a, a sales agronomist type uh, position, if, if you want to call it that. But I was positioned uh, locally there at Overbrook uh, with Farmers Cooperative Association at the time and uh, so I worked there for three years and the reason why uh, I don't have that job anymore is because FCA the cooperative at the time they filed bankruptcy and so uh, I had a choice to relocate with farmland um, you know like out in western Kansas or someplace like that but I didn't want to relocate I wanted to stay around home so I just uh, took a leap and uh, started my own business selling seed at the time and then eventually got into chemical and then eventually got into custom applications. So just kind of just on a whim, just kind of jumped out in it and started doing it on my own. Where do you have land? Um, we farm in actually four different counties. Um, we have one farm in Douglas County and then Osage County and Franklin County and then we have one farm in Anderson County. What kind of equipment do you guys run? Uh, a little bit of everything. Um, our tractors are mostly uh, Challenger uh, tractors. Uh, planters are John Deere. Um, the combines we're running are Lexions. Um, we've got some smaller New Holland tractors. We've got a couple John Deere tractors. So a little bit of everything. We're not really partial to any one color. Do you have a drone? Yes, I do. Tell us about that. I haven't flown it for a long time. Mm. Um, it was kind of one of those deals that was kind of cool at the time, but... I don't know. You gotta find the time to. What do you do with it? That's a good question. That's why I probably don't fly it much. <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of those deals that's kind of cool, but I haven't really found a practical, mm. you know, use for it. I mean, it's it was neat to fly up and take pictures of your test plot, take pictures of your house and stuff like that. But I haven't really dove into any software or anything like that to try to do any crop scouting with it or anything. So I guess at this point, it's just pr kind of a. Just kind of a, a, a toy. I haven't really found any practical use for it in my business or in the farm. 
How big was it? Was it like pretty big or was it just? No, nah, it's it's a, uh, it's not like a little mini one like what Brig has now. It I don't know. It was probably like two foot by two foot. It was a, it had four blades on it. Um, it was really nice. I mean, it is really nice. I mean, the the picture quality and the video quality on it's really good. It was it's really easy to fly. So, it's a, a DJI, I think, isn't it, Brig? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the initial cost would be to like for other people to purchase one? Oh, a drone. Yeah. I think what I give for mine about two grand, twenty two hundred. Yeah. Uh, for a drone that size, it would be around that. Yeah, two grand, twenty two hundred. Now, of course, the whole drone deal is really taken off. Um, I had uh, I hired a guy uh, earlier this summer to come out and, and fly a spray drone, uh, do a little test plot work for me there at our warehouse on our test plots, and it, it was I mean it was it was a big drone. It was yeah. big, but it was it was you know it was carrying water, and he could actually do application with it. So you said you have test plots. Where what are those? Um, for, it's mainly for our seeds. So we do variety plots. Um, basically just testing the different numbers that we sell and uh, just putting them out there, all of them, and you kind of compare what each one of them's doing with with another and you test some newer stuff and try to determine maybe what you want to sell the following year based on those plots. And like me as a dealership, I have a plot, and then, of course, then all of the dealers yeah. uh, have plots, so you just kind of start accumulating that data and, and, and trying to, you know, form... A, an idea of what's what's you know a certain number is doing well mm-hmm. across a large large area. Any, and anything new that's coming out from that, or oh sure, we've always got new stuff coming on. You know, it's, I think it's just kind of the seed business in general, just not our our company that we sell for, which is Channel. Um, you probably any any seed company is always testing new stuff and and always coming out with new new things. So, did the drone then work well for that, or is like is that something you would use later, like again? Um, yeah, I would, I'd like to, uh, so just as far as test plots there mm-hmm. at our warehouse, I'd like to get more into not just testing hybrids and varieties of corn and soybeans, but I'd like to also do like some fungicide work and, and, and different timings and stuff like that. So that's kind of where that spray drone come in. I had a, had a guy come in and spray fungicide insecticide on soybeans and, uh, I haven't harvested that yet, but hopefully maybe we can get some data out of that, see if maybe a fungicide insecticide pass uh, paid on soybeans this year, which it highly doubtful if it did as dry as that we turned out. Yeah. Man. I'll say because just farming, farming in general is kind of just a tough business to kind of survive in. What would be your advice for anyone trying to get into farming or the seed business? Man, it's tough. I, I don't – I just – I get asked that every once in a while and, and just, you know, sitting here in Franklin County, Osage County, Kansas, I mean, for somebody that just doesn't have a, a way into it, you know, like uh, say like a, a grandpa or a dad yeah. that's existingly farming and, and stuff like that. I, I think, uh, man, it'd be, it'd be so tough just to just start from scratch because just the amount of, uh, money outlay, capital mm-hmm. outlay you'd have to do, I mean, buying equipment and then obtaining land, in order to get enough to try to farm. I mean, I don't want to discourage anybody. I mean, if that's what you really want to do, go for it. But, man, I think it'd be just really, 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 really hard. I'd say because if you don't have a foot kind of in the door already, it's going to be kind of almost impossible to get in it. I guess maybe probably, I mean, as far as a young person wanting to get into it, you know, um, we all know farmers aren't getting young any, any younger. Yeah. I mean, the average age of the farmer, you know, goes up every year. So I guess, you know, if somebody that doesn't have a, an, an in with a, 
you know, a grandpa or a dad, something like that, is maybe try to locate a, an older guy in the area that doesn't have any family that he's wanting to transition the farm to and then, uh, you know, like maybe start working for that person yeah. and maybe have a plan from like maybe one of these days that older gentleman would retire and then you could get into the farming operation that way. I mean, I know of a couple instances in our area where some guys, that's what they've done. They didn't really have, uh, you know, any family mm -hmm. farm or anything to take over, but they ended up working for like an older gentleman or whatever for a few years, and that guy decided to retire, and uh, they were able to walk into an operation that way. So that might be a guy's best bet of just look, you know, identify that older, older operator in the area, and uh, maybe be some opportunity there. Okay. And how many people do you have working for you? Um, my brother Matt uh, works for me on the the seed and chemical business. He's kind of a main seed salesman, and then uh, then like I say, my dad, um, he's still kind of my right hand man. Uh, every day, he still helps yeah. helps me with the you know the daily stuff. I mean, it's like right now he's he's running a combine right now. So, right now, yeah. So, okay, so you said that the cost to get in is just extraordinarily high equipment alone i know is like it's crazy high what's what's the cost do you think overall for all of your equipment well i mean that's such a wide range i mean it just depends on if you're able to buy new yeah new equipment i mean we we haven't hardly ever bought anything brand new over the years in farming i mean we've always bought used equipment um been able to maintain it and 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 get into it that way so you know, I mean, it's it's a wide range. I mean, you know, new combines with heads are over a million dollars now. But uh, you like you take my latest combine I just bought. You know, I bought it for sixty five thousand, and uh, the next year sent it up to the dealer, and they completely went through it, put all new internal parts in it, and threshing and all that and everything, and spent another fifty thousand on it doing that. So you know, you figure you got one hundred fifteen thousand in that machine, and it's been completely gone through. Um, I think that's a pretty good deal. Is it? So that's a pretty good deal, 115000 for a combine. Yeah. So to keep and maintain those, you know, since they're so expensive, how much do you think that costs you per year? I haven't ever really just sat down and yeah. figured out a yearly average of what we're spending. I mean, because that's still kind of variable also. I mean, because well, yeah, you can have a bad season yeah, and yeah, break, break down, four things. And right, breakdowns happen yeah. every day. I mean, like this past year, it's it seems like we should own – own stock in a rubber company because we've we've had to buy tracks and we've had to buy two sets of tracks and a set of rear tires for a combine and I, I don't know how many thousands of dollars we've spent on rubber uh this past summer but that's just i mean it's just stuff just you gotta the name of the game right you just you gotta plan on it I yeah mean, so how much do you kind of put aside to for you know breakdowns and just bad i don't know as i really put anything aside you just have an operating loan with your bank and Hopefully you got enough at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how much is crop insurance? Um, again, that varies on how you, I mean, there's crop insurance is a whole nother podcast. You can spend two hours talking about crop insurance, but what we do is we do what they call like an enterprise unit. So that combines all your optional units in one County and kind of throws them into a big bucket. So that helps cheapen your premium up. But I would say probably most of our crop, I mean, I'm going to say, like soybeans are probably around eighteen to twenty dollars an acre, and corn's probably twenty three to twenty four dollars an acre for crop insurance. Is it worth it? Oh yeah. For beginners, your banker won't let you operate unless you got crop insurance. Really? Yeah. If you're borrowing money, they want they want some kind of security. Yeah. 
So you have to have crop insurance if you're starting out. Uh, pretty much. Do you, like are you There's required just, to have it then, or? Yeah, like I say, I mean, my banker. Yeah. My banker wouldn't loan me any money if I didn't have crop insurance. Really? Yeah. Even I mean, with a successful business, they still wouldn't let you. Yeah. Or? Well, just the amount of cash outlay. Yeah. Every year putting a crop in and everything like that, you got to have some sort of security there. So if you if you didn't have crop insurance, if you were doing this all free, kind of, how much do you think you'd lose this year and with your soybean and your corn? Two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand. But crop insurance covers all that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a wise investment. Yeah, I just I don't I I just don't see anybody, especially my age, that's got you know, debt associated with farming. I just, I don't, I don't see, I, I mean, crop insurance is a big, big part of the game now. I mean, crop insurance is so much different today than it was 20 years ago. What was it like 20 years ago? Well, you just, your guarantees and your APHs weren't near as good. So there's been a lot of stuff that's been put in crop insurance. I'd say like the last 10 years or whatever that has, uh, you know, helped build your, your APH and your guarantee. What is, what is APH? Your actual production history. So that's just a 10-year running of actual production. So like what you actually produce. Right. Your actual mm-hmm. yields. Okay. And then, so you have your APH and then any insurance policy that you buy, um, you buy like a 70%, 75%, 80%. We buy 80% on our farm. So your, your insurance policy is 80% of that APH. So just simple math, say like if you had 100 bushel. Yeah. APH on corn and you buy an 80% policy, then 80 bushels you guarantee. So then those 20, those 20 bushels, do you lose those or? Well, it's just, it's, it's just insurance. It's kind of look at it as a deductible. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. So kind of in, into the seed business itself, what do you guys really do? Like specifically, like what's your guys' primary? We sell corn and soybeans. That's two. Area, you know, area. area growers. Yeah. So you farm them and then turn around and sell them. Well, I don't actually grow the seed myself. You know, that's that's pretty high tech business itself. I mean, there's a lot that goes into growing a hybrid seed corn, and so yeah, I don't I don't grow anything that I sell. That all comes from the seed company. So you get it from the seed company and then you sell it right from them, and then you also test it, right? Or yeah, that's like the test plots yeah. and so stuff you like test, that. So you yeah. test it, make sure it's good, and then. Well, sell it out to they 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 check all the it goes through several quality control checks and everything like that before it's ever bagged or ever if we ever get it into our dealership so it, it's pretty much a guaranteed product when we get it to sell it yeah okay so do you guys actually store any of the corn and uh, soybean that you harvest or do you sell it what do you guys do with yours um a little bit of everything we uh take some of it to the elevator uh-huh. um and then we store some of it on farm also so what do you guys store it on the farm for do you um, use that for the for the cows or no we'll uh, we'll eventually market it later okay um just on farm storage is it's one of those deals that it it kind of it helps efficiency at harvest time how well, you can just go home and dump, and you don't have to worry about anybody's hours or anything like that. You don't have to worry about setting in line, long yeah. lines and stuff like that. So um, it's always handy just to, you know, like on a weekend mm-hmm. or late at night or whatever to have a place to dump. And uh, But we, we, we do on-farm storage um, 
so we can haul it out of our field, put it in our own farm on farm storage, and then later haul it to a further market. Okay. That would be further away than we, we could probably do while we're in the field harvesting in the fall. Um, like for instance, you know, we'll store a lot of our corn <clears throat> in the field, and then we'll haul it out later to take it to uh, the ethanol plant down at Garnett. You know, that's historically most of the time is going to be our best market. Really? Saying they give the best price. Do they? Yeah. So, um, so that's where the that's where the advantage is gained. You also, you know, not only you gain harvest efficiency at the time, you know, storing mm-hmm. it right there at the field because you can, you know, keep the combine yeah. going and don't have to worry about trucks coming back or stuff like that. But then you can pull it back out <clears throat> and then haul it to the ethanol plant later on and get a better bid for your corn than versus if you just would have took it straight to the elevator, the local elevator, um, right out of the field at harvest. That sounds like a lot that your guys are doing right now. How like how long are your guys' days during harvest season, during your during your peak season? Oh, we we try not to run after dark too awful much because we always kind of have the theory the more you run after dark, the more stuff gets tore up yeah. type deals. So um, we don't run with the lights on a whole lot. I mean, we do a little bit, but I don't know. Me and Brig, we've been getting home, you know, anywhere between 7 and 8 o'clock at night. Okay. And I, I don't, I mean, with Harvey, I mean, you don't, you don't get going real early yeah. either because, you know, a lot of times first thing in the morning it's tough. You have a do on mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So you got to wait a little bit before you can get going. But, you know, there's always maintenance to do and combines degrees and stuff like that. So, so why can't you harvest with the dew on there? Because it's tough. Tough on the equipment? Yeah, I just think of it just being tough. It won't go through the combine. you got to send dry materials through the combine, yeah. otherwise you'll plug it up Okay. when it's tough. Yeah. I'm experienced in that department. Yeah. How, how was that, Brigham? <laughs> Plugging a combine is not something I recommend for you or anybody around you. <laughs> what happened? Um, it's happened twice to me. Um, like Dad said, we were opening a field after dark, which was partly my fault because I convinced him to. And uh, running along a tree line, green beans that were too tough, running it too fast, and uh, you plug it, and then you got to take the combine apart and unplug it by hand. Is that a lot of work to unplug it by hand? It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> do you do it there on the field? Yeah. Yeah, you do it right there at the field. Involves a sawzall. Yep. <laughs> it's not fun. Usually. So do you just keep that on you then? <laughs> huh? You just keep that on you then? Yeah. Sawzall. Yeah, we got it in a tool truck. So. Yeah, and usually when you plug one of these Lexions too, you ruin a belt. So that's a $650 belt you ruin. So, so that's happened two times. Yeah, and it's happened more than that. <laughs> that's just what Briggs done. I ain't gonna say how many times I've done it. <laughs> so wait, you said green. You guys, you said you plugged it with green beans. Um, <laughs> not actual like green beans, like edible beans. Oh, okay. Just green stemmed beans. Yeah, they green stemmed beans. Okay, they weren't it, ready. And it's yet. a problem this fall too, because the the beans basically died of drought. I mean, they didn't mature normally. So like around the edges and along hedgerows and stuff like that, there's a lot of green green stem beans that's still holding on to green leaves uh, this year. So it's it's just kind of a mess. But anyway, you just take your time and go slow, and hopefully they feed through the combine. Yeah. So I've seen like a lot of fields around kind of where I live are not they're not doing too good. Like I mean, obviously with the drought and everything, but some of these guys, you know, a whole lot of uh, weeds and such. Why is that? Like, why do some people not, you know, take as good care 
like how expensive is fertilizer and weed spray and you know i i guess i'm not gonna talk about that way other guys manage their fields or whatever but i mean maybe it's something that they don't feel like they want to spend the money on herbicide to kill the weeds or um we're kind of you know we're in a period of time now where weed resistance mm-hmm. is kind of a big deal i mean obviously we've we've you know the last 10 10 15 years you know seen an increasing amount of weeds that are resistant to roundup so it really takes a lot of a lot of management a lot of thought uh, multiple passes of herbicides to help combat that. Um, some guys are really, really good at managing and doing multiple passes and multiple modes of action to kill weeds. Mm-hmm. And there's still some guys in the area that maybe aren't as much on board yeah. with it as, as maybe they should be. So this weed resistance, why is this happening? Or, like, really, what is it? It's... Um, I guess I always kind of figure it's it's we're never going to beat Mother Nature, mm-hmm. you know. Mother Nature is always always working adapt, against us. Gonna... Yeah, it's going to adapt. So, I mean, you've you've heard of resistance oh, in, yeah. in tons of things. I mean, kids resistant to antibiotics because mm-hmm. they've had too many ear infections. Um, you know, you've got in cattle, you've got resistance to flies. So you want to change up your you know your your fly management program with different modes of action so yeah. flies aren't becoming resistant in cattle and you know of course weed resistance been been a big deal for a long time and it's just kind of always one of those things that we're always looking at but there always seems like there's hopefully something on the horizon a new mm-hmm. technology or something that's coming out that's going to help us combat weed resistant issues i say because it seems like you're never really going to win against weeds you can just do the best you can against them. It's it's a battle. Yeah. Yeah, and I like to say there's a lot of guys. I mean, vast majority of the guys out there have got it figured out, mm-hmm. and they're doing they're doing things right. Like I say, I mean, multiple passes early, multiple modes of action. Um, yeah, they're. I'd say for the most part, the vast majority of the farmers in the area are, are are doing a very good job when it comes to weed management. Yeah. So if they do have weeds, though, does that affect the way it like harvest? Yeah. So like the really weedy fields, do they? Can they still well, harvest? Well, first, or? you know, first if you got a bunch of weed, I mean, especially when we get into a year like this, when we get dry, and uh, so you got crops out there competing. For, I mean, crops and weeds out there competing for the same moisture. Well, obviously, you don't want you don't want your uh, crop fields full of weeds because yeah. you know they're out there taking taking mm-hmm. as much moisture as your crop is. So that's one thing that you got to worry about. Um, you know, also robbing nutrients. You know, your weed is taking taking uh, nutrients out of the out of the field. But like a lot of the weeds, they'll uh, they're kind of on a different growth pattern than the crops. Like I say, now we'll be harvesting soybeans. The har- the soybeans might be ready to harvest, but a lot of the weeds, since we haven't had a frost yet, yeah. would still be green and alive. And like we said earlier about tough mm-hmm. taking tough material into the combine that slows you down probably you know if you get too many weeds you could plug your combine and then all of the green material and the weed seeds you're getting in your grain tank that's more dock that you take at the elevator okay so that's just kind of a, it's kind of a waste then Is yeah it, i mean weeds are yeah yeah it's yeah it's, it's a big nuisance i know thistle is really bad i mean mm-hmm. there's some places where it's really bad why is or do you know why thistle so bad around here or? it's i mean this we've battled i mean that was one of my grandpa battled thistles and pastures forever it's just one of those i mean it's a noxious weed yeah. so i mean you obviously have to take care of them but uh yeah it's just we 
that's one thing that's for sure. Weeds are always going to grow. You know, yeah. Cerise Laspidiza is becoming a big, you know, last 10 years it's become a big deal also. It's an noxious weed. What is? Cerise Laspidiza. It's another pasture land weed that's considered noxious weed that we have to control. What does it look like? No, I don't know. <laughs> kind of tall and thin. I mean, do you ever go out on the water on Pomona Lake? Not on the water, no. But. So if you go in a boat on Pomona Lake, mm-hmm. just look at the shoreline all around Pomona Lake. It's thick. Okay. There, he brought the images up on the computer there. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. I've seen that. And that, so that's, is that getting, you think that's going to get worse than yeah. thistle? Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to become an increasingly problem. I'm saying some of those are pretty tough to kill with uh, herbicides. I know that too, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it's still, again, thistles and cerise are manageable. You just got to do it. Yeah. Because my dad always taught me to, you got to dig them up, the thistles, to kill the roots all the way. Is that, that's, I mean, that's the way I was, I was always taught up. What about you guys? Just Like on our hay ground and stuff like that, we'll, we'll use herbicide in with the fertilizer yeah. to help control thistles. Okay. But the problem, you know, thistles and cerecia, that's more of a pasture land deal. And in our area, what do we got? You know, we got a lot of trees and stuff like that in our pasture land. And so it, it, hard, it becomes hard to spray Yeah. because you can't get booms out there amongst the trees and stuff like that. So you can get aerial application, but then you just – it's hard to manage that, keeping it where it needs it to be. And then that's going to be more cost too, right? Right. To, for just for pastures then too, right? Yep. So you said that you were in FFA yourself. How do you, like, I don't know, support the FFA community or just like the community in general? Um, I don't know. I've done some things in the past i mean you know anytime they try to do like a fundraiser or stuff like that i'll always try to donate uh, with that um previous advisors i've always let it be known that if they you know like ever need anything like you know, like something like this agriculture wise or whatever i'd do anything that i can to uh try to help out <laughs> uh thank you uh mr corwan and break for joining us again for another episode of blue jacket podcast today we talked about uh well, what's going on today in agriculture and just to Mr. Corwin and Brig about their farm and what they're doing, what they're involved with in the community. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thanks yep. for having us in. It was, uh, it was good talking to you. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you, guys. So if you, if you liked what you heard here today on Blue Jacket Podcast, please hit that subscribe button or even like the thumbs up thing for like. Thank you, and please join us again. Thank you.